Hey everyone, welcome to Hit the Apex Podcast. It's Jawad here as always. Thank you for tuning in this week. Hope everyone's doing well wherever you are in the world. Um, been a good week. Hope it's been a good week for you all anyway. Um, got a bit of a bumper episode coming up for you today, um, especially in the second half. I've got a uh, had a little chat on the weekend with um, none other than Steve Jackson of Shakedown, Formula Shakedown and Grid Talk podcast fame. We talked Bathurst 12 hour and it was such a great chat. You know, I enjoyed it, you know, talking about one of my favorite events in the world. Um, and that's coming up in the second half of this episode. So please uh, hang on for that, or you could fast forward. <laughs> I don't really care, to be honest, as long as you enjoy it, that's the main thing, so, um, but in the meantime, I have to ask the question, you know what capitalism is, Frank? It's the Miami Grand Prix. I had to put, you know, a Scarface quote in it, of course, because it's Miami, but we had the Miami Grand Prix on as well over the weekend, um, a lot of people walking away from it with mixed feelings, you know, on one side. It was a success, you know, commercially and for whoever was one of the lucky few that got to attend the event, you know, some, uh, I don't even know the numbers, but just, you know, how expensive it was to get a ticket, how quickly they sold out, and then just looking at how exclusive it it was, you know, to be there kind of thing, you know, um, talk, I'll talk about it a bit later, is F1 kind of going through an exclusivity problem again, like it did during the Bernie Eccleston era, um, but first, talking about the racing and, and what happened on track, so, interesting weekend, you've got to say, um, we're starting to, I'm not going to say we're starting to see cracks with Ferrari or anything, I think it's, a thing where they've just got to bring upgrades and bring them fast. I'm pretty sure they will for the next round in Barcelona. But it was basically Max Verstappen, Red Bull outdoing Ferrari on pace. They had a convincing win on Sunday despite Charles Leclerc taking pole on Saturday. Um, there was a Max kind of made a mistake and also lost time on Friday during practice as well. So that wasn't good for them, but they came out in the race. He took the lead cut the championship gap down to 19 points now, which when you consider that second DNF that he had in Australia not too long ago, a lot of people, well, not a lot of people, but I saw some people write off Verstappen and say, oh, he can't claw that deficit back or whatever, but here we are. <laughs> here we are, like only two races later, and the gap has gone down to 19 points. So, um, not to discount the effort of Leclerc this time, I think he drove solidly and bounced back from his own little mistake that he made in Imola. But the pace of the Red Bull, you know, they couldn't be beaten on the straights. They were so good. And um, even when Leclerc did kind of get into the um, slipstream, after the safety car restart, you know, the Red Bull just had what it needed to get ahead. At the start, we had the Ferraris lock out the front row. Max gets a better start, gets ahead of Sainz immediately, but good for Sainz to qualify up there and, you know, not have a bad race like he has the last two times. Um, and then by the time we got to lap nine, uh, Max was able to get past Leclerc and then Leclerc kind of locks up at turn 17 trying to catch... 
the red ball and get um, back in front of him, but ends up losing more time heading into the pit stop phase. And then pretty much from there, Max kind of stretched his legs and did what he needed to. We saw Ferrari come in on lap 25 to pit Leclerc for the hard tyres. Max came in a couple of laps later without losing the lead. You had their teammates, Sainz and Sergio Perez, running third and fourth at that time. Um, And Sergio had great pace too, but unfortunately was hampered by a power unit problem, which cost him uh, the opportunity to fight with Sainz. I think if he didn't have that problem, he would have easily been able to stand on the podium. Even... Switching to the medium tyres later on in the race um, when the safety car came out to um, be on that fresher tyre, he still couldn't get past him. So for for Checo to then after the race say that he feared that he might not even see the end of the race with this problem, um, but to then finish fourth was pretty great. So first and fourth for Red Bull. The rest of the race just petered out in procession. It was quite quite dull, you've got to say. Between that and you know the the race direction or the TV direction, sorry, I should say, race direction is another story. Uh, TV direction just cutting to shots of the crowd and whatnot. You know, every moment they had missing like battles when we had Max and Leclerc towards the end trying to have their little squabble. Then we had like a massive DRS train involving Haas, Aston Martin. Lando Norris, you know, that was more exciting than watching, you know, some drunk people in the crowd (laughs) waving their arms about, you know, um, so yeah, like I get the passion of the crowd and everything. It's important to showcase that, but you don't need to go over the top with it, even though everything in Miami was over the top, it seemed over the weekend. Um, so even though the race kind of petered out in procession for that middle part of it it wasn't until lap 41 we saw it re-energized there was contact between Pierre Gasly and Lando Norris which saw the safety car came out unfortunately that was Lando's day done we'll get to specifics on Lando a bit later but Gasly I think he had an incident with Fernando Alonso Alonso was a bit naughty in this race you got to say he got involved in a lot of um, incidents including the start he I think he gave Lewis Hamilton a bit of a tap as well and then yeah you know he was stuck behind Gasly for most of the race and going for an opportune move into turn one wounds Gasly and then Gasly kind of limping around the track um, one of those blind fast sections there which you know we've heard complaints about um, didn't see Lando coming and Lando's coming at full speed and they collect each other and then yeah the McLaren ended up being um, the worse off in that incident so that brought out the safety car you know allowed people to do their pits who hadn't pitted possibly switch to a two-stop strategy if they thought that they could get more points and some more overtaking done but Overall, Lando's race, while we're on the subject, was ruined by his first pit stop and coming out amongst or behind that Haas and Aston Martin DRS train. So, again, one of those track-specific things where, you know, the track surface was so bad um, that, you know, even with DRS, they couldn't get past each other at certain parts. And um, that pretty much ruined his opportunity to get some points on the day for McLaren. We'll talk about Daniel Ricciardo as well a bit later, but he didn't really help their cause either. Um, We saw the field compressed as a result of the safety car, as always. Uh, George Russell was one of those lucky drivers again to capitalise in that 
instance like he's done on a number of occasions already this year, like he did in Australia as well, um, switching to the, he started on the hard tyre, having qualified outside the top 10, ran long into the race and then switched over to the medium and much to the ire of his teammate, I think I've said that line maybe, you know, on every single podcast this year so far in relation to Lewis but um Lewis was mad about it he was on the radio to his team and like you know again why is George ahead um what what, like why didn't you do anything about it on my end and basically you know at the end of the day what what do Mercedes do if they bring in Hamilton for a second time he's going to come out you know behind uh, behind George anyway and behind another couple of cars and has to do the work to catch back up. So it was just one of those instances where he was just unlucky and you've got to accept that sometimes when you're racing in those positions. So, you know, when your teammate qualifies outside the top 10, you're not racing for championship or anything like that. You're just trying to maximize your points. You're going to try some... Um, weird strategies or not really weird you're going to try different strategies and what they did was George with George was great you know and good on them for doing it they got some good positions out of it they got some good points and again even though he's a seven-time world champ you know it doesn't matter if, from a team perspective sometimes when they're not fighting for um a world champ like a driver's world championship or whatever they're not going to prioritize a particular driver they're just going to go out and get the best possible finish they could so you know in that instance Mercedes showing that they've got their drivers on equal footing and all that you know all this talk about uh, whether George will be number two to to Hamilton and all that sort of thing Um, and if I were Hamilton yeah I'd be I'd be mad but also be like okay well it's not the team's fault it's just the the position I was in Uh, it's just the bad luck of it kind of thing so um And I'll go over some other stuff about Hamilton as well later because he's been in the headlines over things that just, yeah, you know, this, this, this year, 2022 with FIA and race control and all that, what are they doing? Um, But we'll talk about that in a little bit anyway, um, separately. So George ended up getting the jump on his teammate. He was on for some solid points. Uh, Checo pitted for the fresh mediums as well. Uh, but wasn't able to pass science. Um, and then we saw Leclerc on the restart get a toe on Max, but wasn't able to pass him in the end. So we didn't get the repeat of what we saw in Jeddah with those two fighting wheel to wheel. But um, in the end, it was a third win of the year for Max. Um, the start that you know seems to be important in people's minds is that whenever he's finished a race this year, he has won. Um, we've only had the five races, and two of them have been DNFs for Max, but he finished ahead of the Ferraris, so good result for Ferrari for the Constructors' Championship, and also for Carlos Sainz as well, much-needed P3. Like, it might not have been an exciting race for him, but to be able to come home third, collect a trophy, back on the podium after the last two races where he didn't even see it past the end of the first lap it's quite important and for Red Bull though you know get getting what they did with first and fourth with the fastest lap too they've also cut the gap in the constructors championship to six points now as well so you know that I guess you know Ferrari's early season lead that they had hurt by the two DNFs for science but then it's kind of equalized it with the two DNFs that 
Max had, and I think even Checo had the DNF in Bahrain as well. So six points, it's kind of energized this battle that we have in the Constructors' Championship too, which is going to be exciting moving forward. Valtteri Bottas, <laughs> oh, he's caused a, he's caused some um, intrigue as well early this week. I'm sure everyone who is an F1 fan and has Instagram uh, would have seen his latest post. So yeah, bear and all again for hopefully for Drive to Survive season five or whatever. Um, yeah, we, we everyone seems to be a fan of uh, Valtteri Bottas's rear end in that instance but um he did well in qualifying he was fifth fastest i mean this is the thing um which you know people say oh you know leaving mercedes has made him so good now it's like well he's always been this good it's just at mercedes it was hard for him to show how good he was because he had a seven-time world champion teammate and also the mental side of things as well having been put in that position of number two driver for so long the wingman um would eat away at you mentally but um yeah qualifying fifth in an alfa romeo he was on to finish P5 as well. He had a bit of a lonely race until after the safety car restart, he ran a little wide and actually gave up the places to his former team, to Mercedes. So that allowed Russell to finish fifth, uh, Lewis Hamilton to finish sixth, and then Bottas coming home in seventh um, to still score some decent points for Alfa Romeo. They're looking very good where they are at the moment in the championship. Um, but yeah, unfortunately that mistake kind of cost him what would have been another really good fifth place. Behind those guys, we had Esteban Ocon in eighth. Um, and when you look at the context of his weekend, that eighth does indeed, like he said, feels like a win because he didn't end up actually competing in qualifying due to a crash that he had in FP3. He pitted under the safety car, having started on the hard tyres and was able to essentially get that cheap pit stop and finish in the points. Um, uh, the crash that he had in FP3 caused a bit of controversy as well um, because it didn't seem like... It was a severe crash, but, you know, there was this whole argument about why are there no tech pro barriers on the on the walls at this track, you know, surely they could, uh, you know, if they've spent so much money on a fake marina, <laughs> as has been the the meme in the build-up to this event, um, they could have put Tech Pro Barriers on for safety, you know, we're talking about safety and all that sort of jazz, um, why no Tech Pro Barriers? So, effectively, without the Tech Pro Barrier, with him, you know, hitting the concrete wall as it was, put a crack in the chassis, and because it was so late, um, or not because it was late, but because they couldn't get the car back immediately because there's no, you know, slip roads or, you know, uh, like infield for them to, to transport the car back to the pit lane. They got the car back at the end of FP3, and then by then there's no time before qualifying to actually make the repairs. So then for Alpine, it was a matter of getting it ready for the race and starting from the back of the grid. So to to then finish P8 is amazing, but then at the same time, you know, they'll be furious at the fact that, you know, they... They had their job made harder just because of circuit characteristics and whatnot. Um, disappointing, though, for the other side of the Alpine garage, Fernando Alonso, scoreless now in four races this season. He gets two five-second penalties, of course. We talked about the hit with Pierre Gasly 
Um, and he was stuck behind Gasly for, you know, pretty much the entire race and wasn't able to pass. I think he just got a bit cranky and um, hot under the collar and ended up making a botched move, which caused that. But then also later in the race, he um, went off the track and gained an advantage, which he got the second penalty for. So he was on to score ninth in the provisional um, classification, which I had on running on my live blog. I had to go back and see what the positions were as it was happening and he was on for ninth but un- unfortunately the uh, penalty kind of relegated him outside of the points in that instance and allowed Alex Albon to be elevated up to ninth so his best finish for the season um, since he's returned to F1 best finish for Williams this year as well so more points for him everyone says it's the red hair that's doing it you know of course you put red on anything it'll go faster <laughs> as is the uh, the old adage with that so um, great to see for those guys and they're not too far behind Aston Martin now um, in the Constructors Championship and we also saw Aston Martin uh, Lance Stroll elevated to P10 as a result of the Alonso penalty and also I think there was a penalty to Daniel Ricciardo as well for a um, the same thing as Alonso going off track and gaining an advantage so he was penalized five seconds and dropped down the order too um and bit of a bit of a horrible one for Aston Martin otherwise they had a decent quality they had both cars in Q2 and then I think one of them made it to Q3 don't know how but they did but ended up having to start the race from the pit lane because their fuel was too cold or something so part of the regulations is the fuel has to be a certain temperature and because of how hot it was in Miami all weekend, they kept their fuel on ice, essentially, and then when it was time to actually get the cars on the grid, the fuel was found to be, have, was found to be too cold, so they thought rather than take it to the grid and risk getting a penalty, we might as well just start from pit lane so we can get the fuel up to temperature and all that, so, you know, when you start your car in the morning, um, on a cold morning, and you've got to warm it up and all that, um, yeah, basically, that was kind of what happened to those guys, and for Sebastian Vettel, unfortunate um, late race incident with uh, Mick Schumacher, I mean, you know, there's that, the whole uh, paternal kind of relationship going on between those two, which is really cute, and, you know, we all love seeing it, it warms us, uh, all very, very dearly to see um, Sebastian mentoring uh, son of Michael Schumacher, who pretty much Michael mentored and was father figure to, to Seb in his early days in F1 in um, in the paddock and everything. But those two, unfortunately, coming together at Turn 1, it cost not only Seb points, but Schumacher was on for points as well, his first ever points in F1. And it's, it is getting to that, po- like, you know, so far this season... Um, Mick has been in positions where he could score points and have a good result, but just things have happened, he's made mistakes, and it's just not really come to fruition, so um, a bit unfortunate for both of those guys at turn one, Um, Haas not scoring points at all um, in one of their home Grand Prix this weekend, so Magnussen was last of the classified runners in 16th, Schumacher lucky not to have to like dnf the car or whatever he was still classified in 15th but you know no points for those guys in their home race um they'll hope that later in the year when they get to Cota, it won't be the same story but yeah they should not be that far down um and for mick as well it's really becoming a bit testing you know because if uh you know his previous 
formulas and series, junior series that he's done are anything to go by. In his second season, he's meant to actually come good and, you know, be that championship caliber driver that he was in F2 and F3. Um, not that he's going to be winning a championship in a Haas, but he should be scoring points sooner than later. We saw Guan Yu Zhou as well out early um, with a mechanical failure, so no opportunity for him to do well in Miami. Did had a good qualifying though. Um, Daniel Ricciardo, as I said, had the five second penalty and was in ended up in thirteenth when possibly he could have had a point because of Alonso's penalty. But for him anyway, it was just another messy weekend. He couldn't get the car out of Q two, and then basically was losing positions at the start, like he gained a couple of positions, but then just got picked off by Haas cars, and you know, Aston Martin, it just, yeah, it wasn't a great weekend for Ricardo at all, and all of a sudden now, you know, because of how good Lando's been so far this season, um, he was on the podium in Imola, and didn't have the best weekend this time with a DNF, um, and ended a streak of points finishes for Lando as well, I think 15 races or whatever, um, again, Ricardo's future has been called into question, and even though he's under contract next year, part of his initial three-year agreement with McLaren when he made the switch, you know, this, this, you know, debate, discussion, whatever you want to call it, about whether, um, McLaren should, um, see it through and whatnot, and I would say, look, Yes, you know, hopefully he improves later this season and whatnot, but if not, and the opportunity arises to put someone else in the car who's going to be better, you know, that's the key word, is going to be an improvement, then then go for it. You know, I know there's this obsession at the moment of having an American driver in F1 and all that, and Zach Brown, the McLaren CEO, with his ties to... Um, Andretti, uh, Michael Andretti and Andretti Autosport and whatnot, um, trying to get uh, Colton Herder into the car. Now, you know, a lot of people come will come out and say, but, you know, but he's got Pato Award in, in his McLaren Indy car. Why can't he be the driver who comes in? But the thing is, if they want an American driver, Pato, unfortunately, is Mexican. So, you know, that whole thing like in my mind it all made sense it was like oh yeah put Pato in you know he's an IndyCar driver it I didn't dawn on me to think you know oh he's actually you know he's not actually from the United States or whatever he doesn't have a you he's not a US driver like your Colton Herders or Alexander Rossi's and all that so as much as I'd love to see Pato have a go um I think you know if they really want an American driver in the sport then you know it's going to be it's going to be Colton even though Colton hasn't really proven himself um as a consistent IndyCar championship threat yet which you know we'll, we'll wait and see I mean if that's the case let's let's give Scott McLaughlin a go I want Scott McLaughlin Kiwi put a Kiwi in a McLaren you know that's that's going to be cool <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen but we can dare to dream about it anyway exciting too because it is the month of May um, and we've got the uh, Grand Prix of Indianapolis and also the Indy 500 coming up later this month too. A lot of racing to look forward to, so um, it's going to be quite good with that. But with Daniel Ricciardo, who knows? We just have to wait and see how the rest of the season pans out. It's really sad though, you know, just, I mean, you kind of consigned to the fact that unless he does a Nigel Mansell, he's not going to win a championship in F1 at the moment. 
Um, he'll just be another one of those Aussie drivers that, you know, has done really well uh, to win races and be a threat here and there. Has a Monaco Grand Prix win to his name. Um, he's won in Monza. Um, so one at Spa has some famous wins under his belt, but yeah, just couldn't quite get the, uh, the championship, uh, thing done. So hopefully the new hope will be Oscar Piastri to do that. So that pretty much caps off, you know, the on-track stuff with a race, um, to talk about the Miami Grand Prix weekend, um, as a whole, I guess, you could say that the the grid walk that Martin Brundle did, which, you know, is it's in itself a bit of a meme at the moment, um, kind of surmised the weekend. You know, poor, poor Brundle. I, I feel like he's just doing his job kind of thing. And we love, you know, all the F1 fans love Martin Brundle. Um, he does such a great job with the grid walk wherever he goes in the world. And there's people who recognize him. They, there's people who are honored to be on the grid walk. And then you've got the, these pair of aloof celebrities. And most of them, I don't even know who they are, to be honest. I mean, I could pick a few of them. My favorite one was, um, and, you know, this is no slight on Martin, because I would have been, uh, I don't even know who this um, uh, basketball player was uh, from, from Duke University or whatever. He confused him for Patrick Mahomes, the NFL player. So um, that was quite hilarious. Um, but yeah, it kind of just, that summed up the race. You know, there's people here who probably have no clue about F1. Um, they're just there because it's it's a big event and they get to be seen and everything and whatnot. Yeah, I've heard heard this spiel about how this is how, you know, sponsors meet teams and stuff like that, and this is how funding comes to the sport and everything, but when you compare that to the other things that happen on the weekend, you know, the lack of the tech pro barriers, you know, let's spend more money on this bloody marina than um, getting some safety things uh, put out, and then while we're on the subject of safety, the FIA and then new scrutineering measures on underwear and jewellery. Like, that's something that, you know, when it first cropped up in Australia and I was sitting in the press conference and I was like, what, what? Why are we talking about underwear? And Christian Horner was like, my drivers just go commando, you know? So, and then Lewis was like, well, I've got certain jewellery that I can't actually remove, wink, wink. And that got Max Verstappen kind of, you know, imagining things <laughs> um, on the spot. Um and like, yeah, I understand that the rules have been in place for, for years, um, which has been brought to everyone's attention and whatnot. And um, they're just trying to say, oh, look, you know, off the back of Roman Grosjean's incident, you know, in the case there is a fire or whatever, um, you can reduce the chances of burns and whatnot or serious injury if you don't have jewelry in the car. Now, that's a fair point to make, but the fact that, you know, they're going so gung-ho about it at the moment is like, there's bigger fish to fry, seriously, you know, there's things that are going on at the moment in the sport where, the one thing I said earlier about an exclusivity problem again, I do feel like, even though we're, we've, we've got all this accessibility and, you know, yada yada social media and Liberty Media have done a good job with, with all that, that we're starting to see F1 create an exclusivity problem again within the sport you know trying to make it specifically for the elite you know to come to the races bump up the ticket prices um so only certain people are allowed to come not your your average fans who you know let's be fair so many fans have got 
um, or so many fans have been made over the world in the last two years because of things like Drive to Survive and because we've all been in lockdowns and, you know, what's on at night on um, night to watch if you're in this side of the world or in, in, in America and whatnot. It's, it's Formula One and, you know, they all love that stuff. So trying to create, you know, a divide between you know, two different classes or whatever is, is absolute rubbish. And, you know, to remind everyone of what I said earlier in the season, F1 is a world championship, not just a United States and Middle East um, series or whatever that, you know, what we're seeing at the moment with more races in the US. And of course, next year, we will have more races in the US than we do in any country you know, any one country or US is the one country that has the most races compared to everywhere else in the world. And then we've got like five races as well in the Middle East. We've got street races that don't make sense, you know, like I know we want need to go to the best circuits in the world, the most challenging circuits, but we don't need, you know, five of the same kind of street circuit. I mean, if we've got Jeddah, then, you know, why do we need Miami, you know, or if we've got Miami, why do we need the other one, you know, it, it's it's the same thing that we're watching just in a different time zone and with, you know, lights, no lights or whatever and human rights problems and whatnot, not that, you know, like Miami probably has the same thing going on as well, like Monaco, I understand, it's a crown jewel and there's all debate about Monaco too <laughs> at the moment, but like we had Singapore, Great. We haven't had Singapore for the last two years. I'm looking forward to it coming back and seeing it how it goes with these new era of cars. We had Baku. First year, not so good. Second year, it did really well. And now it's kind of a mainstay. Everyone has a soft spot for Baku. Why do we need Jeddah? It's just, I'm over it. I'm over it, you know. I still agree with what Hamilton said about, you know, having a race in, in Africa, possibly South Africa and Kialami, which is being talked about, and that'll be good because it's a classic circuit, um, a lot of nostalgia there, but also it's a great circuit. And it's not just because we're sitting here with rose-tinted glasses that we want a classic circuit back. No, it's because it's actually good. It's an actually good track. That's what happens happened when... We brought back, um, and this wasn't even Liberty Media, it was um, still under the Bernie Eccleston era, when they brought back Austria, you know, we love Austria, um, and then Liberty Media, they brought back uh, Zandvoort, they brought back Imola to, to being a permanent, you know, facility. Turkey, the couple of races we had there, they were great, so... That's the thing, you know, these permanent tracks is what F1 should be about, not just exclusively racing in a car park with fake marinas. It's just not good. And the whole jewellery thing as well. So Hamilton's off the hook for two races. He's been given an exemption or whatever. And we saw Seb Vettel as well doing his protest with wearing his underwear above his, um, his race suit. I mean, if there is something brewing, you know, between the FIA and Formula 1, it could be it could be like catastrophic it could be damaging and whatnot the question is why you know i know we've got a new president uh, mohammed ben sulayem and whatnot but why is he trying to rattle the cage why is he trying to change things that don't really need to be changed when you know coming off the back of last year and what happened in abu dhabi they took their time to come to a decision, basically scapegoated uh, an individual and put two new race directors in charge Let to be, and to say, and to be honest or whatever, 
I'm not convinced about them either so far this season. It's just, you know, so far we've had Niels Vittich run all five of the races we've had. Eduardo Freitas will do his um, first race next time. But the whole thing about, you know, having two separate race directors um, alternating and whatnot was so that, you know, you would think that it would be to avoid problems like we had in the build-up to Miami with, with both of them getting COVID. It's like, then and neither of them were in Miami like Vitich had to run the race remotely um from that FIA bunker that they wanted to do like the VAR in in football so anyway it's just it's just making my brain melt just just thinking about all these things so rather than again focus on what could be a good um championship year for um for Formula One, you know, we've got these exciting new cars, we've got, you know, two different teams fighting at the front for the championship and whatnot. We have these other issues going on, which, you know, seem to take everyone's attention away from it. Um, And even uh, Andretti, you know, Andretti trying to become the 11th team in Formula One, he got um, denied by Sauber last year to for a takeover of that team and now he's trying to start his own entry the FIA seemed to support that but then you've got eight out of the ten teams saying no uh, to him basically he went you know from door to door in the paddock to everyone's hospitality and um, basically only got two signatures in support of him and I think they were um, Zach Brown of course which which is a given and then the Alpine uh, boss Laurent Rossi was the only other signature he was able to get so you know like for people like Toto Wolff for Christian Horner they're there saying oh you know we don't want to dilute the the prize funds or whatever for the existing 10 teams and whatnot but I'm sure that they could make something um, create something to not do that you know it's it's changed a lot Formula One in the last five years or whatever since Liberty Media took over and it's all to do with trying to equalize the the funds and everything and make sure it's a level playing field and to have a team like Andretti want to come in as well it's not just some startup some random dude who's like yeah I've got a lot of money I want to just like make an F1 team I'm going to throw money at it like Lawrence Stroll and hope that it um it does well you know I don't think Andretti's that kind of person I mean every other category he's gone into he's been successful um but yeah, just no one seems to want to give him a chance, and that's really sad. <laughs> anyway, we'll, I'll leave I'll leave all the Miami stuff um, on the table there. Whatever you know, we'll see what happens in the next week before we head over to Barcelona. Doubleheader coming up with Barcelona and Monaco at the end of this month, so that'll be exciting to look forward to. Um, and you'll hear me talk about F one. Um, yeah after the Barcelona Grand Prix, so I won't do a preview episode as expected. Quickly touch on the Perth Super Night for Supercars as well, which was two weeks ago. Shane Van Gisbergen broke his Perth duck. He was able to take two wins of the three. Will Davison also broke, finally, his drought of wins, winning the second race, um, basically because Cam Waters was penalised for passing on the outside of the final corner or whatever, or gaining an advantage or whatever. That was another big story that everyone got worked up about um, that weekend, but it was unfortunate for Cam. They just, the reaction, I guess, was a bit poorer than expected. Um, and then, of course, Walkinshaw and Dreddy United as well after uh, Perth. Of course, they had a tough weekend in Perth. They announced a shock switch 
of manufacturer. They haven't brought a new manufacturer into supercars, but they're switching to Ford for 2023. So considering this is a... Um, team that has such rich history with Holden and with GM or whatever they used to be the former um, factory Holden racing team to be switching over to the Ford Mustang next year is big and I'm actually quite excited to see that so good on Ryan Walkinshaw, Michael Andretti and Zach Brown, um, Bruce Stewart and all the people at WAU for for sticking in there and hopefully the fans are going to be kind to them over this one as well so yeah that's 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 it you know um Stay tuned for my chat with Steve um, about the Bathurst 12-hour. And, uh, yeah, I'll catch you guys next time. And it's time to talk about one of my favourite events on the Australian motorsport calendar, if not the world motorsport calendar. It's been a while since we've had it. um, And I'm delighted to have a fellow fan with me today, Steve Jackson of Formula Shakedown. G'day, Steve. How are you doing? How are you? Yeah. Or after afternoon, I should say. <laughs> yeah. Um, friendly time zones for both of us to have this chat, which is really good. I've been looking forward to it all week. Um, so your formula shakedown, a nice little group that um, talks all things racing. You know, you want to tell us a bit about yourself and and what it is before we get going. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, shakedown, um, just in general, is effectively like a, a celebration of all things motorsport so we'll talk about basically anything a couple of a couple of series we do avoid just to save arguments but um uh, shakedown split across three groups so we've got formula shakedown uh moto shakedown for for bikes basically and also shakedown itself which focuses more on uh gts prototypes um sports cars that sort of thing so uh, across the three i think we've got around eight and a half thousand members or so so it's, it's reasonably healthy um majority of us are based in australasia in terms of admins and that sort of thing but um i mean wherever you are in the world you're more than welcome to join um the the idea behind shakedown is basically just to avoid a lot of the uh, the nastiness and, and just sort of, you know, uh, mudslinging that you get on other sites. So uh, we're very much all about the positivity and that sort of thing. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's, um, it's it's really just a great place to sort of network and meet other fans and just have a bit of a chat. And um, events like the 12 hour tend to bring out a lot of the, um, a lot of the people who just sort of lurk and, you know, we've got chats that get set up for these events and, you know, it's a, you know, it's a, it's just a really good way of sort of enjoying these uh, events. Um, you know, wherever you are in the world, it's it's tricky being in New Zealand sometimes as a motorsport fan because everything's on at Sparrow's Fart o'clock in the morning or stupidly late at night. And um, yeah, the twelve hours one of those rare events where you know you can you can enjoy your racing and not have to have a IV of coffee plugged into you at the same time. <laughs> so um, yeah, it's a it's a wonderful event. But um, yeah, it's it's one of the many events that we tend to to showcase and to me the 12 hours right up there with spa 24 nurburgring 24 le mans that sort of thing it's 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 one of the sort of the hall one of the hallmark uh endurance events so um yeah i mean i'm not that i'm definitely not the only one who's uh who's ready to go for this i mean uh like the the chat and shakedown is very much swung in the favor of the the 12 hour and even though it's a small grid the quality is just as as i think this is one of the best driver lineups we've had in a very long time and some uh, some newcomers to the mountain as well so um exciting times 
Yeah, we'll get into driver lineups and uh, the depth of the field in a bit. So I'll also put all the links to the shakedown pages into the description for you listeners out there. Um, And yeah, if you didn't guess already, we're talking about the Bathurst 12 hour, which um, for many years has always been kind of at the start of the year in February. We missed out last year due to obvious reasons, which I don't need to go into. Um, And again, Early this season, we had it scheduled for February, but um, a new variant struck and things got pushed back and everything. And eventually, um, with the help of SRO um, and, you know, local people and all that, we got a uh, date in May. We're in May now. And yeah, we're only a week away from the event. So how exciting, you know, I've, I've really missed it. It's one of my favorite um, events to go to. It's one of my favorite tracks in the world to go to, like you say, um, it is up there with Spa 24 Hour as well. When one of those circuits, which drivers just you when you hear them talk, they're like, I, I want to go to Bathurst. You know, I was listening to um, the podcast that Tom Clarkson does for for Formula One. He was talking to Alexander Rossi, um, who came and did a Supercars wildcard a few years ago um, as with Andretti Autosport. And, you know, as much as he had probably not the best time there, he was saying it's still one of his favourite circuits. So it's good to hear when, you know, such um, highly rated international drivers talk about this um, 6.2 kilometre public road um, west of Sydney or well west of Sydney um, in such high regard. Yeah, it's, a, it, it's one of those places where even though it's in, it's, I mean, let's be honest, it's in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> um, <laughs> like the drive to Bathurst is far longer than I thought it would be the first time I said it. It was, um, yeah, it was, a, it was a bit of an adventure. But um, yeah, the amount of interest we get from, um, uh, just, I mean, drivers from, from various areas. Like, I mean, we've, we've, heard, uh, we've heard talk of, you know the likes of Daniel Ricciardo and that sort of thing, wanting to, wanting to have a go, and Valentino Rossi, who's only recently, um, you know, begun his GT3 career in earnest, has mentioned the 12 hour as one of the the many races that he wants to attend as well. Which would, if he turns up at any point, I'm there. Oh. I don't care what time or, or what time it is, where <laughs> it is, what the weather is. I'm there. I'm yeah. I'm there in yellow. But um, yeah, it's it's one of those races I think that transcends the category that it's in and just becomes quite it, it, it almost it, it's it's really hard to put into words but it's a it's as you say it's a public road it's more or less in the middle of nowhere but it produces some of the best racing that we've seen on the planet um and i think you know gt3 tends to produce very very good racing just with the way that especially with the way the stefan Rotel organization and so on like you know managed to balance these cars so well um but even then the circuit itself you you wouldn't think looking at how narrow it is especially over the top that it produces the racing that it has um but it's it's i think it's definitely a bucket list uh event for a lot of drivers and and you know that also explains why we see so many drivers make the make the trip from europe or america or wherever they're based um, you know, down to down to Australia for effectively one race out of a very sort of spread out calendar, and a lot of these guys have commitments in Europe, and you know, especially with um, GT World Challenge and um, you know the, the Endurance Cups and International Open and NLS, and you know they could be anywhere in the world, but the fact that they choose to choose to come to Australia really 
does highlight just how quality this event is and just how how amazing the circuit is as well absolutely right and what you said about valentino there oh you know that's that'll that's the dream you know i said as soon as he made the switch to gt3 and doing the gt world challenge um or the european gt challenge or whatever like all right he's got to be in the frame to come to come to bathurst and um have a tilt at the 12 hour so that would be good to see in the future alas it won't be this year but um the 12 hour wasn't always um, like it's always been a major event here in Australia. It wasn't always how it is. Um, so 2011 was effectively the year that put the race on the map, you know, with the transition over to GT3 machinery. We started to see this interest from factory teams from Europe, you know, the likes of Audi, Mercedes AMG, uh, Porsche as well eventually got in. And then 2019, I think it was, that it became part of the Intercontinental GT Challenge, which is basically this mini championship of like four epic races which include the spa 24 hour there's a race at kalami there was a race at indy i'm not sure how it looks this season but you know it's definitely grown in the last decade um compared to how it was where we'd have you know uh production cars basically it's basically what the bather six hour is now um what the 12 hour used to be and we had mostly you know your local drivers from v8 supercars or you know various other categories around uh, australasia yeah i i think um it was Audi who took 2011, wasn't it? I think they're the only manufacturer of sort of, you know, one more than once since uh, mm. since 2011, since it became more of a GT3 format. But, I mean, looking at, like, the race goes all the way back. So I think it's, I think it was first run 1991, 1992, around there. Mm. Um, and it was, a, it was a Toyota Supra that won. Um uh first time around so it's it's gone from very much like a i hate using the term grassroots because it's always attracted such incredible talent but it was definitely more of a production focus as you say and like the six hour sort of fills that gap now um and we had a time where it was a 24 hour event um for a couple of years as well i think in the early 2000s but um i think that the way it's sort of it's it's structured now and the fact that it's been incorporated into the IGTC, IGTC which is a um a fantastic series as well um uh it, it's it's sort of um again it highlights just how how you know how quality this event is and um I mean you know going back all the way to 2011 like Christopher Mees is a guy who still comes back to the mountain today if he can get a chance and he won all the way back in 2011 the fact that he's willing to travel all the way from uh, I think he lives in Switzerland now all the way from Switzerland to Australia for one one event a year um, that's a long way to go to uh, to go racing so um, yeah he's obviously a massive fan but um, yeah so since 2011 it's it's just it's become stronger and stronger each year um like i think 2019 was um was definitely my my standout year just um just in terms of the the quality of on-track racing and just there was a little bit of controversy as well with that with that coming together between um between matt campbell and uh i think it's chas moster in the Mm. uh in the bmw as well so like a little bit of controversy always sort of riles things up and there was a bit of uh, a bit of mystery as to whether um 
EBM actually, Elbamba Motorsport actually won that race because the penalty was still very much up in the air by the time the, the flag dropped. But um, yeah, it's I, I think the way it's run now is very much the way I'd like to see it continue. But there's opportunity for, um, uh, I was having a chat with a friend just, um, uh, just a couple of days ago, actually, and we were talking about getting like Australian TCR in the mix there as well at some point just to just to try and shake things up. But yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, for now, it's it's very much a, um, a you know the focus is on GT three, and I love the fact that even though that's the that's the highlight series or or uh, um, you know the highlight sort of um, championship, uh, you know the the fact that they still allow invitationals, so we've got a couple of the Mark cars coming back this year. They are phenomenally loud. <laughs> if you've never heard one before, they are the Bentley is loud. The, the like so the the, the the GT3 Bentley, which is no longer, is incredibly loud. The Mark sounds like God's plumbing. Um, it's just, it's an incredibly loud car. Um, so please take care and protection if you're going this weekend. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, the it's it's really good that they've managed to bridge this gap between a very much like a homegrown event, along with the 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 wealth of talent that this attracts, and and so many teams like Gripper M and um uh like we've had um we've had uh, kcmg with the with the skylines and uh m sport with their bentleys audi with i think every team they've ever had um, <laughs> yep. wrt, WRT. Triple, yeah triple f have turned up um didn't go so well but um like just the the fact that it attracts such these big names from gt3 racing really does show um how healthy this event is even with the numbers this year this i think this is I, I'm I'm not overly concerned about the future of the series because um, you know just the the quality of driving um, that we see and the quality of of just the, the the whole weekend really does speak for itself. Pretty much, and like going back to um, what you're saying about the Mark cars, like yeah, if there was a grid full of them, I would need hearing protection. But because there's only one that goes past you every um, two minutes, it's it's kind of acceptable. Um, the Mark Mustangs, when I went last time, whoa, they were they were incredibly loud, louder than the Bentley GT3, like you said, as well. So um, yeah, looking at some of uh, previous wins, like you mentioned, Audi have most the most wins of any of the manufacturers that have come to the 12 hour in the gt3 era they're gunning for their fourth win this year and they've got such a great field but looking back we've had um great teams local teams even you know erebus motorsport winning in uh 2013 with mercedes um famous win for godzilla the nissan gtr in 2015 with that epic stint from um katsumasa chio as well um and then yeah you know your supercars drivers like your jamie win cup and craig lounds winning in 2017 with mikasalo in the ferrari as well and that race in particular hilarious controversial um towards the end there you had shane van gisbergen mario engel i think racing in the scott taylor motorsport um amg gt3 svg crashes angle very bad um one of the famous moments i think you know and i just remember when that came on the the big screens or whatever um and angle said what he had to say the entire crowd just went whoa like you know ooh, he's he's on fire <laughs> stay away from him so it's it's great to see the passion um at the track as well as um at home when when things like that happen 
Yeah, it's, it, it really does demonstrate how how much this race means to these guys as well. Like they're all competitive and they want to win, but um, yeah, it's it was very much it was that outburst from I wouldn't call it an outburst. I fully understand where he was coming from, but that was quite out of character for a usually very calm individual. Um, but yeah, I wasn't there in uh, <laughs> in 2017 um, when uh, when that occurred, but um, yeah, a friend of mine was, and he said the. Um, you could almost cut the air with a knife. It was that, you know, it was that awkward afterwards. But um, yeah, like we've like we've always had, uh, you know, little sort of um, uh, weird anomalous or sometimes quite controversial um, incidents at the twelve hour. I remember in I think it was twenty. 2019 um when one of the kcmg skylines basically just ignored its uh, penalty with about half an hour 40 minutes to go and they were running in sixth or fifth place and for some reason just didn't pit the car so you know they had points on the table and for some reason just ignored the penalty i think it was for weaving um once the safety car uh, lights went out which is a bit of a no-no mm. um in this format so there's uh, like there's always been little things like that and then you've got the bigger the bigger coming together like you know Chaz mostert and maddie campbell in the uh uh you know same race um with the uh you know the, the two making contact down the end of the end of conrod straight so um like there's a, like a, a lot of the especially with longer endurance races and that sort of thing especially when you get to the tail end of these uh these races where you know it definitely becomes more of a sprint to the end especially if there's been like a late you know late safety car or a, a red flag period um you know if you if you're a fan of the spa 24 hour you know that half the race is red flags so um <laughs> <laughs> like there's always those little little incidents just to shake things up a wee bit but um but, you know with with that in mind, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping with the, uh, you know, the, I'm hoping we get, you know, a clean event this year, just with the, the, you know, the, yeah, comp- comparative lack of numbers. Um, but we've always been um, treated to some incredible, you know, incredible racing here. So um, especially with Audi wanting to clinch that fourth. Um, and a couple of manufacturers aren't really present this year. We've got no Ferrari. We've got no, um, obviously no Bentley. Lamborghini's not present either. Um, uh, oh no, that, no, sorry. There, there. We've got one Lamborghini, don't we? Uh, War yep. racing. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a bit of a reduced grid in terms of manufacturer representation. Um, and uh, Audi definitely have the the strongest presence on the grid um, by the looks of things as well. So yeah, they'll be they'll be hoping to capitalise on it. They've bought a lot of I think every single R8 is the the current edition, the Evo Two as well. So they're definitely going for um, going for the outright win. So yeah, I'm I, it's it's very hard to predict with the quality of drivers that we've got, but um, it's nice seeing so much uh, Australian talent back on the grid as well. It's um, it's it's looking more like it did back in 2011 when, you know, it was still the majority of the field was Australian. Yeah, um, between Australia and New Zealand, um, one of my favourite combinations probably, you know, who I'm going to be secretly hoping for the win is the number 65 car with Chas Mostert, Fraser Ross and Liam Talbot in yeah. there. Um, Fraser Ross did an amazing job last time out in 2020 being on the, um, I think, silver. They won the silver class, I believe it was, racing in that McLaren 720S. Yes. Yeah. yeah, so that was a good result for him and Chas Mostert not yet 
um, won the 12 hour, he could join a very elite group of few who've actually won the six hour, the 1000 and um, the 12 hour. I think only Paul Morris is in that category at the moment. So he could join his old um, co-driver from 2014 in that group. So I really am a fan of that combination, but looking at who else Audi have brought, they've brought Kelvin Vanderlyn back. They've got a rookie in Nathaniel Burton. I think that's how you pronounce his name. Um, uh, Marcus Finkelhock, again, another one who has been around um, Bathurst many times in in R8. They've got Ricardo Feller. um, And then, yeah, local guys, uh, Yasser Shahin, um, who's been racing in GT World Challenge Australia. They've got the um, Bates uh, entry with um, Tony Bates, David Reynolds, and Cameron Waters from Supercars as well, as well as the uh, Lee Holdsworth, Mark Cini, and Dean Fiore entry of Hallmark, which is, I think they've been together for quite some time. I think every time I've been to the 12 hour, that car has is delivery and, you know, the driver lineup has pretty much been the same. So, you know, it is a full on assault from Audi this year, which, um, you know, if when you look at how big the field is, if they're all on the lead lap, we could have an Audi one, two, three, potentially. Yeah, it's, it's looking quite likely. And I mean, Mercedes really are probably the only brand who, uh, or only other manufacturer who can threaten that. But, um, the especially the uh i mean the you know the um 74 car you know nathaniel Berthon, kelvin vanderlinder brad schumacher that's quite scary uh you've got local talent you've got kelvin vanderlinder who just tr- drives anything like it's stolen and nathaniel Berthon's done you know he he knows what he's doing so that's um that's quite a potent com- combination um uh, you know, and and especially with the, the the local side of things as well, there's there's potential for the local guys to capitalise on having a very very competitive car and just having a very good day. I mean, um, the other one that's worth mentioning is BRM with uh, Nick Perkett, Joey Mawson, and Mark Rosser as well. Mm. Um, that you know, that another really good uh, really good lineup. A lot of these guys are Bathurst veterans, or you know, they've done the six hour, or you know, they've 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 driven it in S five thousand and. Um, you know, there's, there's, I think, yeah, Audi is definitely looking like the, I think, manufacturer favourite, but um, Mercedes have bought some quite terrifying names to Australia just to, just to try and get in the way. But um, yeah, I mean, if I was, if I was a betting man, it would be, it would be seventy four for me. Nathaniel Bithon, Vanderlinda, Schumacher. That's, uh, that's that, that's where my, my betting money would go, would go if I were to go for an outright outright win um well supported team factory tip factory driver um but two factory drivers i should say um so yeah they're they're looking quite they're looking quite strong and the audi's always been good over the mountain we know that Mm. um yeah and another name that or another combination that looks pretty threatening racing under the triple eight banner this time which is quite intriguing is the sun energy one car which you know if you watch international gt racing you know you watch daytona and things like that they're there um kenny habul uh leading that effort he's done pretty well for himself i guess just being pretty much everywhere hasn't had much success around um the 12 hour yet but he's got martin conrad lucas stoltz and reigning Bathurst 12-hour winner Jules Gounon as well, who was in the Bentley last time that um, he raced here. So that's a pretty good combination when you look at it too. Um, And yeah, you know, the benefit, I guess, of not having like an 
outright pro class as such it being replaced by pro am is that they can have that fourth driver in the car as well depending on your um grading and everything so it just makes it even more competitive having a fourth driver on board like we do see in some of these teams absolutely and it gives those ams the opportunity to work with and and you know drive with some incredible gt3 talent i mean um the opportunity to work with guys like Lucas Stolz or Jules Gounon or, you know, that, like, anyone would take that opportunity. Anyone who knows GT3 or just, just uh, like, you know, um, uh, sports car racing in general, those are names that you pay attention to, um, especially. Uh, but as you say, like, Kenny Hubble, like, not an amazing record at the 12 hours so far, but, um, yeah, absolutely phenomenal driver. Martin Conrad as well. That's, I th- if, as I said before, I mean Mercedes have bought some scary drivers, and I think that's the lineup. That's the lineup I think that would get in the way of Audi the most in taking the fourth one. Uh, that and um, there is also the uh, sorry, let me just find it. Yeah, as you say, triple eight. Um, but uh, Ram Motorsport as well with Brett, Brett Hobson, um, who's a Shakedown member. G'day, Brett. Uh, Michael <laughs> Sheargold and Garth Walden as well. So, um, yeah, great local talent there as well. Obviously, Brett Hobson's um, done a million laps around Bathurst, usually in a Nissan. Um, but the uh, I believe the Nissan has uh, has moved on and he's now behind the wheel of, uh, of uh, something a wee bit different. So very keen to see how he goes. Um, but there's also uh, a 19 Court Racing Team. You've got Will Brown, Mark, Mark Griffith and Jack Perkins. Um, again, really solid driver lineup, all, all local talent as well. So, yeah, I mean, the, the pro, like the fact that there isn't, as you say, like there isn't an outright pro class does throw a spanner in the works of trying to call this like it's it's quite hard to predict but um yeah with the with the way that um things are sort of shaking up so far um it's it's definitely Audi versus mercedes this year um and yeah the 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 driver side of things is going to be very very interesting these guys are all very very fighty as well i mean if you watched uh opening round of british gt from a couple of weeks ago jules gunon drove like an absolute animal didn't quite pull it off but that was one of the that's some of the best racing i've ever seen um and it's really exciting that he's in australia for this weekend it is indeed and then can't rule out of course um everyone's favorite uh driver or the they love to hate in supercars shane van gisbergen at the moment who's been on an absolute winning streak when it comes to um the supercars championship but he is going to be in the triple eight mercedes gt3 he's driven before with prince jeffrey ibrahim who is a regular in the gt world challenge australia and then they've got the um, his Red Bull rookie teammate uh, Brock Feeney in the car too. So with um, Van Gisbergen in the car, you know anything can happen, as we know. Um, and I don't think he's he's won a twelve hour before for McLaren back in twenty sixteen. That was a great um, win there for Techno Autosports, but um, hasn't had much luck in the Mercedes around the mountain. But he's in the absolute form of his life, so I wouldn't be surprised if there. There or about, um, there or thereabouts as well. Um, but talking about some of the manufacturers that are absent, you know, looking and sometimes with them comes, you know, come names that you don't have on the grid because you know drivers are aligned to particular factories and all that sort of thing. So no Aston Martin, um, no McLaren either this year. You know, we know Garage Fifty Nine 
McLaren um, are quite like closely aligned. BMW as well. You mentioned Nissan, Bentley, which was sadly a um, casualty of the pandemic. I think that the factory program had to be scrapped, which was a shame, which was straight after uh, their famous win in 2020 at the mountain. So, you know, it, it, it's sad not to have that variety of manufacturers on the grid. You know, you miss some of the names that come with them as well. Um, but like at the same time, this is exciting to see uh, what we've got at the moment. And yeah, you know, who knows how it's going to turn out um, come Sunday afternoon. We're going to have more uh, or less daylight, I should say, as well, given the difference in daylight savings that we have from February. So I think the race starts at a similar time. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, then it has always, but because of the extended um, period of darkness, I guess, you know, they're going to be doing a bit more night racing. Yeah, and that'll be quite a challenge for a lot of these guys who have not real. I mean, the, you know, the 12 hours always started, um, at, uh, you know, before before sunrise, but um, it's quite, it's an incredibly tricky opening stint um, for any of these drivers, no matter how, how skilled they are. Like, um, you know, it's, track's quite cold, um, lighting is obviously terrible um and it's not it's not light circuits in europe like if you look at uh you know when they do the poor ricardo thousand and that sort of thing where there's you know there's stadium quality lighting and that sort of thing um going over the mountain you really are on your own you've just yep. got you've got you've got your headlights <clears throat> and the occasional camera flash and that's it it's um it's it's a very very different circuit this so um yeah given the time of year we're doing this obviously the 12 hours usually um february uh so it's a lot colder um uh tires will be uh you know same compound as we've seen um uh so far in other parts of the world this year but it's just it's it's a very uh unfamiliar time of year for a lot of these guys so um yeah i I, i'd expect uh a lot of especially the more experienced drivers who who are able to sort of constantly remind themselves that it's not a sprint, it is a 12-hour event, and, you know, you've got to be able to get the car to the finish in order to finish at all. Um, so, yeah, the, the attrition side of things is one is, is a concern, um, just like I said earlier with, with the lack of uh, lack of numbers on the grid. But um, the, the drivers that we do have are all very, very... Um, you know they're, they're sensible. They know when to push, and you know when it's uh, when it's not so good to uh, to you know to to drive on the absolute limit. So um, yeah, the it'll be it'll be interesting to see. Um, I'm just hoping like we've got rain predicted for basically the whole weekend. Um, I'm hoping it stays as rain and we don't get snow. Um, we have seen Bathurst covered in snow this time of year <laughs> many, many times in the past. Um, but hey, look, if it does, we had Spa uh, in World Endurance Championship, uh, I think 2016, it snowed for half the race and it, they just ran it red flagged. So hopefully that doesn't happen. But um, yeah, it's it wouldn't surprise me. We've had kangaroos on the track. We've had a tree on the track. We may as well have some snow at some point, right? Like, yeah, take advantage <laughs> of take advantage of the weather this time of year. But you know, as you say, it's uh, just 
depends on what happens on the day. Um, while you're talking about attrition as well, something interesting I have to point out as well is that so many instances we've seen cars not even make it through the practice sessions. They get written off um, before they even make it to qualifying. There's six practice sessions across the weekend plus qualifying, and then you've got the top 10 shootout or Super Bowl like um, your, the European um, audience will know it as. So, so many times, like even big names you know can have a incident in practice they get wiped out at the top of the mountain um we know how unforgiving it is with the concrete walls and then that's their weekend done so how important is it to just keep it on the 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 bitumen um and not in the wall through the practice sessions as well yeah and that's uh, like that's the I mean, that's my mate. That that is the the main concern. I think that a lot of people have is just the the sometimes the you know the mountain just bites. You could be doing absolutely nothing wrong at all, but the you know this this is an incredibly unforgiving circuit. Um, it's not like what you see in Europe and you know some parts of the states as well, where you've got you know large tarmac runoff areas and then a gravel trap and then an, a, a, you know a tech pro barrier a mile away from that it's all very much like if you make a mistake there is a wall there or is there, there is a gravel trap uh that's going to meet you it's um i hate using the term old school circuit so liberally but it really is um it's it's not really a circuit at all it is you, you mentioned it at the start of the recording it's a public road and occasionally yep. a motor race breaks out, which I love. It's just, it's like, it's, um, it's, it is one of the last holdouts of, of uncompromising circuit. So, um, yeah, these guys will be punished for mistakes and, and they like, okay, you do get the, the freak accidents as well. Like I, I think it was 2020 yesterday and the, uh, the Benz Mercedes, um, had a horrific accident up the top of the mountain. Um, after one of the marks was running, running slowly just off the, the racing line. I think it caught him completely by surprise. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we also saw in that one of the, one of the, the best examples of just how, uh, how closely knit all these guys are, because uh, I remember, um, uh, you know, quite a few drivers were sort of slowing down or even stopping to, to see if he was okay. And then we had one of the Aston Martins completely disintegrate over the top and Ringo van der Zander uh, stopped to, to pull the driver out i can't remember who it was but um yeah like we've we've seen kcmg right off their cars in the past one of the bentleys got almost written off but somehow resurrected back into life for 2020 as well and then ate its ate its own tire eight eight hours into the race which is a bit tragic but um yeah like the, the the there is a very good chance that this 20 car grid will be you know it might be 15 cars by the time we get to sunday um, which is unfortunate, but that's just that's just the way this uh, this the way this event goes. It's uh, it's incredibly unforgiving. It's it's up there with uh, with the likes of Spa as a it's a bit of a widow maker for cars. It just it's it destroys cars. It's well known it, for it. It does. I think um, that Aston Martin you were talking about might be might have been the R Motorsport sixty two yeah. entry um, yeah. with Luca Giotto in there as well. Um, I don't know if he was driving at the time, but. Yeah, they've not had the best of luck over the years, apart from that sensational pole lap that uh, Jake Dennis put in in 2019. Um, Formula E driver now, Jake Dennis. So, you know, talk about quality drivers that come to come to Bathurst. It's pretty exciting. Um, but yeah, that's that's you know the the racing side of things. 
talking about, you know, the event as a whole being one of the best in terms of accessibility, I think I've never been to a motorsport event. Like I know you hate using the term grassroots, but as a spectator, sometimes, you know, the grassroots feeling is the best in terms of having access to wherever you want, um, not being, you know, held back by security to get into the paddock and you know like you can get onto the the pit lane rooftop it's it's pretty much open house you know you buy a three-day ticket or whatever which i hope is still like under a hundred dollars i think it was last time i went um and that's surprising considering supercars now own the 12 hour i would have thought that they'd put the ticket prices up but it's incredible like the access you get the track to town thing that they do on the thursday as well they first did it in 2020 i believe and it was a huge hit it was good to see all the cars being driven to the track i remember sitting at one of the roundabouts um to get some photos and i've got a good one of fraser ross with his um thumb out of the the driver's seat or whatever so that was good and then just being able to see the drivers close up and everything see the cars close up um never before i reckon i'll get the chance to meet six-time indycar uh, champion scott dixon for example he was racing in 2020 so i was a bit starstruck by um by scott dixon i've got to admit so racing in for uh, aston martin with rick kelly and jake dennis that year so it is one of those events where i think you know you can just you it's like for a you know true sorry true motorsport fan it's one of those ones you've got to go to i think yeah you you sort of hit the nail on the head it's one of those events where you can go and it, it it feels like it feels like to me what a motor racing event should be you should be able to get up close to to the cars you should be able to meet your you know your favorite drivers you should be able to walk through pit lane on on you know like uh on a saturday like, understandably they wouldn't let you walk through pit lane during the active session but you know you like the, having the ability to to you know to take photos of the you know the garage and the cars and meet your meet your favorite drivers and that sort of thing is is one of those um it's becoming increasingly increasingly rare on a global scale, I remember going to a Formula One, uh, a Formula One event in Spa in 20, 2018. Um, and it's, it's, it's almost impossible to go anywhere bar where you bought your tickets for. Um, and that's, uh, I think that was more of a trait of Formula One than of the circuit or the, the, you know, the, the accessibility of the, the track itself. But, um, it's, it's definitely not, not the way of things with Bathurst. You can go there and you can you can walk the track. You can go all the way from um, you know all the way from pit lane, all the way up to the top of the mountain, back down the other side. You can walk down. Um, you know you can you can basically go wherever you want within reason. There are some closed off areas for marshal posts and and uh, just you know the, again this is a public road, so there are houses um, around the circuit as well. So there, you can't go everywhere. Um, but it's. Um, uh, it's 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 yeah it's an increasingly rare thing that you can do here and um the the event organizers are are good enough for um uh, for the shakedown lot and you basically you know it's um something that you can uh join in in the future events as well with the 12 hour we've actually got a permanent basically a permanent spot on the inside of conrod straight just leading into the chase there's usually a barbecue and that sort of thing there as well. So, um, so if you see them, give them a wave, tell them I said hi, or don't. They might they might turn away. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, yeah, like it's 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 
it's such a rare thing to be able to do that and it's almost a shame that you can't do it at more events but um yeah a bit, bit, bit envious you met scott dixon because he's a bit of a hero of mine and a, and a, and a kiwi as well so um yeah like the the fact that um you can just walk up to a bloke like scott dixon or um like for you know f- for me being able to uh, meet augusto farfus uh, at one point as well was a bit mm. of an honor because i'm just i'm a massive fan of augusto and everything he does so um yeah it's a, it's it's such a special thing to be able to effectively meet your heroes and these people you see on tv who are superhuman and are quite comfortable just manhandling a 1200 1300 kilo 600 horsepower monster around a public road that's not much wider than my driveway is quite is quite something it's very very cool it is indeed very very cool and um just putting it out there as well 2023 will bring the um valentino rossi fan club to to bathurst if uh he ends up coming we'll just be following him all weekend won't we <laughs> <laughs> that's um, probably your best shot to meet the guy as well uh, yeah exactly yeah. that's 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 how i've always envisioned it you know there's no point me have gone to phillip island or whatever where there'd be tons of security and you know you got to pay a grand to get a paddock pass or whatever to get in but no nah, it'd be great if he ever came and was a part of it it'd be great to just see him race um around mount panorama um other than that, yeah, it's it's just so good to see the 12-hour back on this year um, because of all the logistical stuff. I'm sure next year things will kind of be more normal to what we're used to, to what we've talked about today, the rich history of this event in the last decade or over a decade since it became a GT3 event. But um, other than that, Steve, I think, yeah, we're, we're both really excited, you can tell, and um, can't wait. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. And just just on what you said before about the about the timing and that sort of thing, that's like so. If you're listening and and um, you've been a bit sort of upset or you know, you know turned off by the entry list or the size of it, more importantly, this is probably the worst time of year for this event to happen. We've had British GT start up. GT World Challenge Europe, uh, America, and Asia are all well and truly underway. NLS qualifiers are on this weekend. We've got IMSA this weekend. We've got uh, GT World Challenge next weekend. So those cars are being prepped for that. Next year will be, I imagine, and sincerely hope a return to normal service where we will get that 50, 60 car grid. Um, I'm hoping we can get some of the missing teams back. I really want Triple F to come back and have another go because they obviously had a bit of a bit of a horror time with their sole entry last time around in 2020. So, um, look, if you if you're listening and you're put off by the entry level uh, entry list, don't be. Watch the race. If you can if you can still go, please go. This event needs the support to stay alive and it's not make or break now but i think 2023 it really needs to be um a hit for it to continue because this is it's such a such a massive effort for these teams and for these drivers to take time away from from their family and from their normal lives to travel down under to 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 entertain us to 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 race for us basically that's you know it's it's entertainment at the end of the day so please don't be put off by the entry list these guys are incredible drivers there's some there's phenomenal international and local talent so please just go enjoy the race watch it tell your friends tell your mum i don't know mother's day gift tell buy her a ticket i don't know but please support the event because this needs to continue it is honestly one of the best motorsport events on the planet 
hit the nail on the head. So yeah, I think that pretty much wraps things up for this uh, week's show. So thank you so much again, Steve. Big, big um, shout out to the Shakedown folk as well. I'll pop all the links in the description for the episode so you can follow them, be a part of this wonderful community. And again, like just with the whole Bathurst 12-hour thing, you know, it's it's an example of what makes a great motorsport community is something like Shakedown where, you know, you can rock up to a race such as the 12 hour and there's people there you know and you can meet new people new friends potentially and yeah just have a good time so um i think last time i did that at some at a formula one event was was a very long time ago for example not not trying to sling mud on on f1 or anything but yeah thank you again steve for coming on and talking 12 hour with with me and um yeah no thanks for thanks very much for having me it's been it's been uh, it's been really good All right. Well, until next time, thank you guys for listening and uh, yeah, see you next time.